Hey there, Sinister Citizens! Welcome to another episode of Sinister Soup, the show where we discuss genre fiction through the lens of sci-fi, horror, fantasy. We're going to be talking about books, we're going to be talking about movies, we're going to be talking about games, and we're going to be talking about some culture that we found out there in the world. That's what we always do. I am Clay Vermullum. And I am your other co-host, Travis Vermullum. Correct. Those things are all true. And now we're going to get into our first segment, which is Bring Some Culture, uh, where we just, we bring a thing that's cool, really, from the world. Travis, what did you see in the world that that was cool? I see a lot of film critics or just TikTok film critics around. Um, Some of them, I don't think, would call themselves film critics, more like just film reviewers, you know, for fun. Kind of like what we do here. And a lot of them... You know, I don't love their format or some of their videos are great. Some are not. They go off and do like different trends and kind of get away from movies, just doing movies. Or I see a lot of like trailer reactions, which kind of bother me. But um, there's a guy called at Cinema Joe is his cinema dot Joe at Cinema dot Joe is his TikTok handle. And he's very like. I love how simplistic his approach is. He just, he has a letterbox account that I know a lot of people have now. I still have yet to get one of shit. And he just kind of makes like different categories. Like today, what did I see? Oh, he ranked the 10 best A24 horror movies today. And he'll do like specific stuff like that. And he's very simplistic and he just gives kind of his general reason why. Uh, I think I like him too because a lot of the times his taste aligns with mine. Today it didn't completely. He ranked It Comes at Night um, 11th on his list, which I think should be like in top five A24 horror movies. But regardless, um, he's just, I just love that. Like he doesn't do anything, like he doesn't try and be uber quirky or do any kind of like comedy routine with it, which I see a lot on TikTok. They like, don't think that the movie review is enough. So they add a bunch, they either like add in social commentary or something funny. Now, at cinema.joe just talks about his rankings of movies and like different subcategories. And a lot of them are really cool and specific. Um, the one I, I watched one the other day that I really enjoyed that was um, top 10 movies I liked, but I'll never watch again. And like that list was really cool because I, I was like on board with all of them. Like one of them was um, Requiem for a Dream. And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. that movie is just a straight downer. And you watch it once, you can appreciate as beautiful. And then it's like, no, thanks. I'm never going to watch it again. <laughs> like, it's a work of art, but no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that list was cool. So, yeah, check him out if you're a big movie nerd like me. He's definitely one of us and has a lot of really cool kind of ranking systems. Did you send me something of his? He sounds familiar. I probably did, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember what all I sent to you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I get like two or three TikToks from you a week. Yeah. That's the all, all of my exposure to TikTok. <laughs> um, okay, awesome. Well, that sounds great. Cinema Joe, go check it out. Yeah. Some cool reviews happening. Where, where do you draw the line on somebody being a movie critic and somebody just being a movie reviewer? Would you, would... What would you consider us? I think um, a critic gets paid. Okay. 
So we are firmly in the movie reviewer category. Yeah, that's where I'd say we're reviewers. And I mean, some TikTok people get paid too by their views, but I don't think they're getting paid necessarily for their reviews. You know, like like critics mm. are being hired because they do reviews, whereas TikTokers are getting paid because their video is getting enough views, not because of the review itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I would differentiate. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, for the record, I I definitely think we are movie reviewers. You know, hobbyists. Yeah. Um. So anyway, my uh, my thing is the Cascade Writers. Uh, it is a nonprofit founded here in Washington. And its mission is to help writers get published, help writers get exposure, help writers uh, join in community uh, with their fellow Washington residents and and people from out of Washington if they wanna if they wanna come all the way to Washington to go to these conferences. Um, but they're pretty cool. They offer free workshops periodically throughout the year uh, that are funded through their you know through their nonprofit organization and then they also offer what they call premier workshops which do cost you some money but not not a ton for i mean it doesn't cost any more than like going to comic-con um but the difference here if you're a writer is you will get an opportunity to sit on panels with professional editors uh professional authors professional literary agents and for example in the three-day workshop this year which is taking place july 15th through july 17th um you get to pitch the first four thousand words of a novel you've completed to a panel which includes literary agents and editors from around the washington uh, state area oh that's awesome yeah so it's pretty sweet and that's like for 250 bucks and then there's a uh and it's three days so like the the pitching part it also includes workshops and community events and all kinds of really cool stuff i'm going so i'm extremely excited this will be my first con since covid and yeah i just can't wait i wanted to pitch these guys because they're super cool they have some other workshops coming up um they've done some really cool things in the past Mm-hmm. and everybody on the panel is extremely accomplished they're all hugo nominated world fantasy award finalists things like that yeah uh when it comes to washington authors like some of the some of the really big names are going to be there so i definitely recommend checking out the cascade writers if you are a washington writer looking for more ways to uh meet your fellow fellow creatives and the people who make those fellow creatives make money yeah, any, anything to do to open doors, get your name out there, go to cons, all of that is so beneficial. That's amazing. All right, so we've concluded the culture of the week. What's up next, bro? Now we're getting into forced entrollment. Hey, That's where... Eh? The meat, the protein base, the bean, yes. whatever you want to call it. We're still going with that metaphor. Yep. In case Never you guys weren't sick of it yet. <laughs> we're still shoving it in your face never gonna kill it never um kill it. i'm trying <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to do that right now uh moving on we are getting into force entrollment which is the part of our show where we debate whatever movie or book after which the episode is titled 
we're going to roll dice. The higher roll defends the movie or book. The lower roll attacks it, regardless of how we actually feel. But mm-hmm. before we roll, we're going to ask a trivia question. Travis has come up with a trivia question this week. He doesn't think I can answer it. I hope that I can, because whoever is correct in their assumption gets advantage, which means they get to roll twice and take the dice they prefer. So, Travis, what do you got for trivia? Well, today we are talking about The Outsider, not the book, the TV show. I'm sorry, all all you Stephen King fans. I still have yet to read the book, but I did watch the HBO Max adaptation of the book. Um, So that's what we're talking about today. The Outsider, starring Jason Bateman and Ben Mendelsohn. Great cast. We we don't even have to get into the personal choices we have of this. With we can just both right right we can say that unbiasedly. Ben Mendelsohn and Jason Bateman are awesome. Yeah, I think we could say that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so the the Outsider is about a sort of murder mystery that has a supernatural element. Uh, We won't say any of that right now to avoid spoilers. Spoilers will come out during the argument, but it's kind of that. It's a very simple story at face value. It's just about a murder in a town of a child, Um, and Jason Bateman's character, Terry, is accused of the murder, and there's something kind of fishy about it because he's allegedly in two places at the same time um and that's the story of the outsider so the question i have for you that i really think you're gonna struggle with and i hope you don't get it like right away and make me look stupid (laughs) jason bateman delivers a monologue in one of the prison scenes when ben Mendelssohn's character visits him ralph visits terry in the prison and Jason Bateman's Terry gives this sort of speech where Ralph had asked him at the beginning of the show if he ever touched his kid because Terry is at the baseball, like little league coach of the town. And Ralph's child had, had passed away. And so in like an anger as he's arrested him, asks him, have you ever touched my kid? And Terry gives this long speech about how Ralph's kid was the best drag bunter he ever had in Little League. Um, and everyone had nicknamed him Whiffer because he just swung no matter what and often missed and would never really get on plate unless he was hit by a pitch. And so Terry taught him to bunt. And he says most kids were afraid to bunt because they, wanted, they would think their knuckles were going to get cracked by the ball but he wasn't afraid of it. And after seeing his his kind of fearlessness, the kids changed his nickname from Whiffer to what? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, multiple choice would make it too easy. I know I'd know it if I heard it. Yeah. Does it has to do with bunting. I don't think that's too easy of a hint. That mean honestly means nothing to me. I don't know. I don't remember. All right. I remember that monologue. It's a great monologue. Great monologue. Um, they they started calling him Push It because Push he, It. Yeah, That's they started right. calling him Push It, which was a a positive name instead of Whiffer, a negative name. So. Yeah, and I remember him. I remember that part where he's like, they called him that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that that was a great, great monologue. Uh, okay, cool. 
Good job, Jason Bateman. Good job, Travis. I don't remember that name. So now we roll. Now we roll. I got advantage. Yeah. A four. Nineteen. Awesome. All right. I guess that means that I go first. Well, I mean, we've already mentioned the first thing that I'm going to say is like the best part about this show, and that is just the performances. Um, ben Mendelsohn, Jason Bateman, so many others. Let me find some of those names. Bill Camp, uh, Jeremy Bob. Patty Kassingin, uh, Juliana Nicholson, all of them just give a masterclass in acting. Like every performance in this show is spot on. Oh, and I forgot to mention one of the best ones. Uh, Cynthia Erivo plays the detective, uh, Holly Gibney, and her character is so fun, so interesting. She's kind of got this like super ele supernatural element of like knowing, knowing things just innately and kind of is ostracized by society from it because she just doesn't seem to fit in anywhere. And her, her performance is fantastic. So that's really the first A-plus thing of this show among many. The cinematography is top-notch. Every episode has some exquisite scenes of sweeping over land, like the landmarks that it's based in, which I believe is probably Maine. If it's, <laughs> if it's Stephen King, I'm gonna guess it's Maine. I didn't look it up though. It's got a lot of like well-written suspense and tension. You kind of know what's happening. If you know Stephen King, it doesn't take very long for you to, to get what's going on. And that could be to its detriment, but I don't think it is. It's not to its detriment. You kind of figure it out, but it's, it's so smartly written that it's fun and tense to watch the characters get to where you're at. Um, <clears throat> Because here's where the spoilers come. It is about a doppelganger, and that's something Stephen King's used before. He takes a lot from that kind of like folklore. And so if you're a fan of his, you know that's coming, and you know there's this kind of weird element to it, but every little piece of detail gives you a little more about the doppelganger and brings the characters a little closer to kind of knowing. And that will lead me to my kind of final opening point, is I think the most beautiful thing about the show is that like any good horror, yeah, it's it's tense and it's scary and the horror is front and center and uh, it has a lot of suspense and like the murder of children is terrible. But any good horror movie should have an undertone of like a very strenuous, hard theme that human beings have to deal with every day. The witch is about like mistrust and being ostracized from society and like possession being kind of a thing where it happens when you are cast out. Um, I would argue hereditary is about grief and depression and struggling through a family thing. I think this show does really well in its underlying theme is about belief and mm -hmm. faith in the unknown and like how people struggle with that because it's so much easier sometimes to root yourself in the concrete. Um, and they really took Stephen King's theme very well out of the book, put it to film, and these characters and actors really just brought that to the to the light, especially Ben Mendelsohn as Ralph, his struggle with, I cannot explain everything I'm seeing, and I don't like that, so I'm just going to shut, shut it off and say that I can is, is excellent work. I agree that this show is all about faith 
and it did help root some things in the concrete for me in that one major thing is that it is impossible to do a good job adapting a Stephen King book to film. <laughs> I don't know why they can't do it. Stephen King's a good writer, and his books are widely acclaimed as some of the best books in the entire horror genre, but for the life of them, even if it's HBO, actually in this particular case, maybe because it's HBO, <laughs> they can not do it. They did the same thing to this show as they did to Game of Thrones, just on a way smaller level because this show had one season because it was based on one novel. But why can HBO not finish a show? <laughs> Dude, that season finale was the weakest piece of garbage that I have almost ever seen. Almost ever seen. It was terrible. Mm. You watch this entire extremely gripping, thrilling show. I liked it most of the way through. But holy cow, when you get to the last like two episodes, that show, it's not even like pumping the brakes on the suspense and the thrill and the terror that was going on and so powerful throughout the entire show. It like completely stops. It's like if you're enjoying an ice cream cone and then the directors of The Outsider just walked up and slapped it out of your hand and then like stomped on it too, just for good measure. Just so you know, that's not your ice cream cone anymore, little nerd. Like, I hope you're enjoying it, but you're not enjoying it anymore because it's over. And that's that's how this, this felt. That was the worst choreographed gunfight I have seen in my entire life. And I've watched some bad movies, you know? You I watched some bad horror movies. Do you remember... Do you remember the gunfight? Do you remember it, when Michael Scott made a movie in the office and there's the yeah. gunfight where yeah. they're skating and they're like five inches from each other and they're like shooting and they're missing? Yeah. Uh, that's what it was like, almost. It was like almost that bad, dude. Like, <laughs> be, for for a show that was taking itself extremely seriously and extremely uh, dramatic, powerful, uh, tense, dark show, you don't have any wiggle room for your action to suck if you're going to slow burn the hell out of the whole series. Mm -hmm. It was a slow burn for like a whole series, pretty much. Not a lot of action actually happened until like the last three episodes. And it all sucked. It's like mm -hmm. whoever wrote that was good at the buildup, but they had no idea how to deliver on the ending. I don't know if they didn't understand the content. I don't know if they wanted the show to go for three more seasons and they didn't get it. So they just slapped this piece of garbage together. But whatever it was, it was terrible. It ruined the whole show for me. If you want to be remembered as a good show, then you have to finish like you just do. If you want to be remembered as a good book, you have to finish. You have to deliver. Like you can have an awesome buildup. You can have a really well-presented baked uh, cake. But if the cake tastes like crap when people cut into it, then nobody's going to ever order that cake again. And that's all I have to say. I will say a few things in retort. Uh, first, Stephen King is notorious for, in his long library of books, ending books terribly. So maybe they adapted it correctly, but I don't think that's not the complaint here. The editing was bad on that final shootout. Don't think it was the writer's fault or the director, honestly. I think it 
it was shoddily edited. For some reason, it jumped all over. It was like a bad Bourne movie. Mm-mm. That's so the I director's would, fault. That I is the director's fault. Moving on, though. Um, uh, another point I wanted to make is there actually are a few good Stephen King adaptations on Netflix. There's a couple of his short stories. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking <laughs> I know, about I The know. Outsider. I just wanted to say that. What I really want to say, though, is your point of it's like Game of Thrones, because I think it's not at all. Game of Thrones, the ending root taints the entire show because you've been waiting for these characters to reach certain points. It just kills expectations. So it's hard to go back to season one and like watch Bran's story because you know what's going to happen and how it works and watch Daenerys because you know how terribly that story is written at the end. The Outsider, I don't think, did that. I agree with you that the last episode is not well directed and not well edited. And like the final visual is bad, but none of the stories were so unsatisfying that I can't go back and watch the buildup again. Like they, none they of were the, for me. They none were for of me. the endings for me were, were bad. Like it's, it still ends the way I anticipated it to end. Just not really with a punch you know it's it's like no they were they were bad they were lame they were lame not what you expected i expected them to catch the thing i expected quite a few of the people to die i expected ralph to kind of come to this faith moment i expected the detective to like maybe go home and kind of have doubt but oh for game of the week for game of the week (laughs) which again is video game of the week this month oops (laughs) <laughs> video game of the week video game of the week all right today we are talking about another open world rpg ending the month with our last open world rpg and in my opinion i don't think clayton's gonna agree with me the best of them that we've talked about so we've talked about knights of the old republic we've talked about skyrim today we're talking about legend of zelda breath of the wild um, uh frankly i can't agree with you because i haven't played it Oh, <laughs> you've watched it though. I've watched someone play it. I've played lots of Zelda games. I'm a huge Zelda fan. I never got to Breath of the Wild just because I've never owned a console that had it, and I sort of phased out of video games right when it came out. I I kind of want to. I do plan on getting a Wii in the near future though, and then I'm definitely gonna play it because I've wanted to. I just yeah, I haven't gotten to it. So you'll have to take the reins on this one. Yeah, let me gush a little. Um, this game got a 10 out of 10 on IGN, which does not happen very often. Mm-hmm. And a 4.8 out of 5 from GameStop. And for good reason. It is gorgeous. Gorgeous, infinitely replayable, great story. And it just does a lot with a little. It is, well, I can't even say a little because it's one of the most open worlds I've ever seen. The, the sheer vastness of exploration is crazy like you can wander into the wrong territory and and not be ready at a level like i can it's Mm, totally open world there's no linear direction at all so i've i've wandered into like the middle of the map where ganon is and just gotten killed in like three seconds and been (laughs) like okay that little territory where the x of my old body is that's somewhere i don't go anymore I can go explore the outer edges a little bit more before I can make it back there. But I think the thing that I can say the most about this game is if you are looking for, it has both action where if you're looking for something exciting, 
that you can, you know, do a buck mash, kill a bunch of enemies, run around, you know, build weapons. It's got that. It's got that excitement for you. And on the other hand, you can literally just chill. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Go hang gliding. Fine. Yeah, hang glide, ride okay. your horse. It can it, it acts just as much as like Skyrim as it does Animal Crossing. It it really traverses all those kind of open world genres, and I think it's it's absolutely spectacular. I'm a little biased because when I first played it, I had COVID and was quarantined, so mm. I had mm-hmm. like seven days of just exploring <laughs> the world of Zelda, and it was great. <laughs> mm. But I think I called you the one time and was like, I have never just ridden my fake horse for 15 minutes before. And Breath of the Wild, I did. And I was not bored for a moment. That's awesome. I like how it doesn't level up with you to like, again, that's why it was so easy to get OP in Skyrim is because there's very few places in that game where you go that is out of your league because mm-hmm. the game levels up with you mm-hmm. uh so that's cool that yeah like that's realistic if you go to ganondorf's castle and you're level two link you're screwed mm-hmm. and that's how it should be you're not ready to fight ganondorf stay away from him yeah and it's it's fun too because like i'm at a level right now where i really am not sure i'm right on the cusp of maybe i'm ready for this i'm not quite sure though Mm-hmm. And that makes it even more fun because I'm like halfway through and I either give up and turn around or I just say like, well, I got to figure it out. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm struggling, but I got to find some way to win or else I just give up on this whole area and have to come back later, which I don't want to do. So it's like a puzzle. I'm like, okay, I can't fight these guys like close up hand to hand. So I got to figure out something with my bow or something with like bomb arrows I gotta like be smart about this, which is awesome. Well, that's always been Zelda's always been kind of a uh, combat-centric puzzle game, and that's mm-hmm. always been one of the coolest aspects of it, I think. Mm-hmm. And I love—I mean, some of that the music in Zelda has forever and always will be some of my favorite music. I have listened to a fair amount of the Breath of the Wild music. I love it. I that's what I usually write to is like Zelda music. Um, mm-hmm. I am in love with that franchise's scores and musical composition. It's so beautiful, and the artwork is awesome. It's so unique and different from other games. I'm just a huge fan of everything Zelda in terms of like the uh, the the creation of the game itself, the creation of the world through the music and the and the art. Yeah. It's definitely the whole franchise has been great um, with maybe the exception of like one or two games. I highly suggest it. And uh, the second one's coming out soon. So should get your hands on a copy, y'all. Yeah, definitely. I got to get on that. Got to get on that switch. I think I said we earlier. I mean, I meant switch. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I I definitely want to get a switch. I also want to play that new Fire Emblem we got. It looks pretty sick. A good one. That's a good one. We'll talk about that maybe in a later episode. So, what did you actually think of The Outsider? Final episode. I believe everything I said about that final episode, but I had to rip so hard on that because I loved the rest of the show so much. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Ben Mendelsohn, like, I had never heard of him before. I probably seen him on a couple things. I know he was in a movie where he played a drug addict. I can't remember what movie. Killing him softly. 
killing them softly. Yeah, he was great in that for a completely different reason. Yeah. Uh, but that was like the only other time I've seen him anywhere. And man, he is a rock star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was so good. And also Jason Bateman, like I saw he was in it. And I, I honestly have never been impressed with him. But mostly I've seen him as a comedy actor. I mean, he was funny in Arrested Development, you know, but he was also like such a big, he was always the straight man, right? Yeah, yeah. So he was naturally the least funny person in Arrested Development because he was the straight man and everyone else was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So he came across, you know, he he did great at that, but it was still kind of like, I'm not sure if he's actually funny, but man, he can really act too. And that was really awesome to see. A side so, note on that. Um, he also directed and wrote like most of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. Really I cool. Could, Did not expect that. Just to, I got to put the side note on that. That generation of like comedians, like Bill Hader, Jason mm-hmm. Sudeikis, Jason Bateman. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like killing it in dramatic roles now. They're next level. Like yeah, J- Jason sure. Sudeikis got Ted Lasso going and it has multiple times in that show made me tear up like with his performances bill Hader has barry right now which is just amazing not to mention bill Hader is such a next level creator like writer producer director i mean he's so good at everything i don't know what was in the water on that snl cast but (laughs) no dude that yeah you're absolutely right that generation of well, we first met them as comedians, but they are all so next level and not just as actors, but as filmmakers and producers and writers and just creative geniuses all around. Like, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Uh, cream of the crop, those guys. 100%. That aside, I will, I agree with you. Everything you said about the final episode, like that final episode. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. That gunfight was awful, man. Oh, it's one of the worst. Like, yes, the director, but also, I don't know who edited that crap. And it, that everything was bad about it. Everything. I mean, I you can't ever, it's hard to really ever blame the actors unless the performances were bad. And I don't think it's fair to say that. Mm-hmm. But what the actors were doing made no sense. Mm-hmm. Like, where was the cover fire? <laughs> you know, there, the guy runs to the car and starts driving. And there's three professional police officers, and none of them provided cover fire. They all just stayed undercover and let him get blasted in the head. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, what is going on here? Like, I think if I was in a paintball fight, I would know to do that just instinctively. Oh, my friend is running out in the open. I guess I'll I'll do some cover fire. I've like watched enough war movies to know that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Now, sure, is it going to be scary in a gunfight? Obviously, like, but these were not not these were not unprofessional gun people. Mm-hmm. And trained. Ben Mendelsohn had already shot people in this show. Yeah, like been in gunfights, literally. That last uh, episode made no sense, but I mean, I still stick to. I, I think the argument I made of like. It isn't like Game of Thrones because I, I really don't think it tainted the rest of the show as much. The payoffs of the characters to me still, for the most part, were what I was expecting. I, I think the the final confrontation with the doppelganger was pretty anticlimactic, but it wasn't like I didn't expect him to die. I did expect him to die, and he did. And yeah, but it didn't feel satisfying to me. No. Because... I, I won't, no. 
yeah, I expected all that to happen, but honestly, I expected half the stuff in Game of Thrones to happen too. It was unsatisfying. Yeah, but they and I that's mean, what they, sucks. They rushed the hell out of, of the Game of Thrones in like yeah, I don't know. It so it is similar, but but it didn't taint the rest of the show for me. Like Game of Thrones, like I try and rewatch season one now, and I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that it feels rushed because it's all relative though? I mean, you watched Game of Thrones for, like, 10 years. You yeah. watched this show for, like, 10 hours. Yeah, maybe. But I, I don't think the plot lines were as in-depth, you know? like. Well, they weren't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so, yeah. yes, it is relative, but they're also telling a shorter story. It's not a fantasy epic, so... And I would... I haven't read the book, have you? I have not. I might, I mean, it's possible that the end of Stephen King's book is rushed because he does that quite He a bit. does that sometimes. I'm not saying that's impossible by any means. Yeah, I don't know. It still did kind of ruin the show for me, though, because <laughs> I felt so unsatisfied with all the revelations at the end. Uh, the only things that sort of pulled it together was like Ben Mendelssohn's performance mm-hmm. at the very end was just fantastic. And Cynthia did a great job, too. I like their departing dialogue. But yeah, I don't, I don't know, like Claude's ending didn't do a lot for me. Mm. And mm-hmm. all the other characters that we cared about are dead, so. Yeah. And also, uh, Mara, 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 Winningham. Yeah. I'm going to assume Mara mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah. She was so good. She was. Very yeah. good. Uh, who, she played um, Ralph, the uh, Ben Mendelsohn's character's wife. Uh, yeah. for, for you viewers out there that's mara winningham the wife of ralph that couple is like such a power couple in that show well she's another one out there kind of like ben Mendelsohn, of like like a really excellent actress that you just can't name or like you you've seen her you just don't know like what mm-hmm. her by name yet and i don't know if some of those actors i don't know if you ever will i don't know if they want to be they just do projects that they love and they knock it out of the park and they don't care if they get like the star next to their name i mean if you're in hbo then you're in a lot of things and you're making money so you're doing you're still picking and choosing (laughs) Um, bill camp too i have seen him around the guy who played howie i've seen him around a lot and i always enjoy his portrayals although he's kind of a bit player yeah, he is. Um, yeah, it's just because of the way he looks. Mm-hmm. But uh, he did great too. Yeah, we could go on and on about the actors. Um, in terms of the story, though, I mean, this story is like tailor made to be a story I like. I I love shapeshifters. Obviously, <laughs> that's like one of my favorite monsters. Uh, I'm always into shapeshifter stories, shapeshifter lore. It's some of my favorite stuff out there. In terms of monsters, if I had to pick one monster that's my favorite kind of monster, it would be a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. So, and I love the way they did El Cuco, uh, mm-hmm. attaching him as, I mean, personification of grief. Like you said, we've talked about this before, but I love when good horror is the horror that like, not just like capitalizes on the things people are afraid of in order to make the environment tense and make people uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but really uh proving something and telling something about where that emotion comes from and where that fear comes from and how different types of people choose to face it and Stephen mm-hmm. King is a master of that and I think that Jason Bateman did an excellent job as a director and writer and everybody else who directed and wrote this show of bringing that vision out as well 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the I, it's, the best horror has those themes of like the emotions and the deep feelings that drive people to extreme limits. I think that's why horror can be one of the most well-made and crafted genres out there when it's done right. Is I think it's one of the most hit or miss genres for sure. It is a genre of extremes. It is mm-hmm. like when you're in a terrifying situation, all bets are off. The most extreme emotions come out. Mm-hmm. But when horror is bad, it's it's really bad. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Like uh, like you were saying about Hereditary when we talked about it, or was it Hereditary? I don't remember what what horror it was, but it was we talked about. Uh, the worst thing a film can be is okay. Mm-hmm. The Outsider is certainly not okay, though. I, I definitely think it's good. Very mm-hmm. good. That season finale is just a real big bummer. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, yeah, it just sucks. I hate and when no, shows don't finish. I will say, I, I think I know a few people who, who probably don't agree. So I don't know if I would give it a shot. I'm going to suggest it to anybody and maybe you'll like the finale. Like maybe it won't be as disappointing to you as to us. I definitely am not in the camp, but I have friends who are like, Oh, I didn't mind the shootout. And I thought it was satisfying. And so, yeah, I guess not everybody's going to be as critical of it as, as we are, I suppose it, it just felt like a shootout in a play or something. It did. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was like so over dramatic, so badly choreographed. And it just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Everything else about the show was great, though. Uh, the mysterious uh, creature was awesome. There was lots of good, creepy scenes. Uh, the suspense was off the charts. I love a good slow burn more than anything in horror. Mm-hmm. And so, that was like a whole season of sh- of slow burn. So it was pretty awesome. I, I liked it a lot. And man, there was just some dark, 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 dramatic scenes. Not just like the brutalness of the murders and stuff, but like when they arrest uh, Terry just at the beginning of the show, like, holy cow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. so tense. Some of know? the lines that drive it home, too, like uh, uh, Ralph and when he's first talking to the lawyer, and he's like, why were you there to make the arrest? And he's like, I sent my other troops because I didn't think he would walk away alive if I went. <laughs> like that yeah. kind of stuff where you can right. really feel the passion in in a lot of the characters and Mm -hmm. yeah well and it's great it's so it's set up so well uh with the story elements right because they have him like dead to rights Mm -hmm. so when they first like roll out everything is like so set in stone for them that it's like no why would we even question this of course we're doing the right thing and then very quickly you're like oh you ruined this guy's life and he wasn't in town yeah, and now he's dead. <laughs> and now he's going to be dead because of you. And yeah. now his wife, her life is ruined too, and so are the kids. And the whole time this creature's over here like, yes, <laughs> feed me. Yeah, uh, yeah. very well constructed. Just seven episodes of gold with one, one episode of like shoddy bronze. I wouldn't even give it bronze. Like lead. <laughs> straight poison graphite straight poison cheap metal one episode yeah. of pencil graphite <laughs> yeah i think that's more apt for sure bronze is pretty useful so what is that what did that take it down to so let's mm, do this i question. want to hear this after seven episodes what would you have given it 
before the finale? It was probably like a probably like a six on the yeah. eight point scale. I'd give it a six, but okay. Now add the graphite. A five. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm down with that. I can agree with that. I still think it's a very strong show. I I agree. It didn't taint the whole show for me. I I did watch it a second time and still enjoyed it very much. I was just bummed because I knew it was coming. Yeah, it's uh, one. It's one of those that I'll go on YouTube and look up some of the monologues sometimes just to get those refreshed and. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. I don't want to mention. We mentioned Game of Thrones a lot on this show. <laughs> Way too much. Not to mention it again, but it's my fault. <laughs> that's kind of that's what I'm talking about with like I'll go on YouTube and I'll see like Tyrion's speech. Yeah, like the court confession from like what was that season five, six? Um. Oh no, that was earlier, season four. It was four. He had over it. Yeah. Yeah, from season four, I, I see that speech, and I'm listening to it. I'm like, man, that's a good monologue. Man, that's a so good, good speech. And then there's this voice in the back of my head that's like, oh, but he's a moron in the end. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel it. I feel it. Okay, enough Game of Thrones. We're giving this. Uh, the Outsider is the show we were talking about, and we're giving it a five out of eight. Solid show with a really bad and really just beautiful acrobatic gymnastic routine that, you know, didn't stick the landing. It didn't on. stick the landing. They like, they totally like slipped and fell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did that awkward, like, I didn't fall kind <laughs> of stand up thing. No, look at me. I'm up. I'm cheerful. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally here. I'm, I'm raising my hands. Give me the gold medal. All right. That seems to be a show, listeners. Um, We are very happy you joined us once again to hear us uh, rant and rave about The Outsider. And next episode, we're going to be talking about a book that I'm sure many of you fantasy readers out there have read. So put in your guesses. Maybe send us a guess. What do you think we're going to talk about with that description alone? Um, yeah send us a guess that'd be cool uh, i'll give i'll give you a hint if you're gonna send us a guess here's a hint it is considered one of the must reads for the modern fantasy palette indeed 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 and uh please send us some suggestions we compile this podcast list pretty far in advance um so like if you want to see something in the season coming up it's never too early to send it. Uh, we're going to put it on our list. We'll eventually get to it. All of you who have submitted stuff already, we're getting to it. It takes a long time to read books. <laughs> so It does, especially epic fantasy novels. We will make it to all of them, we swear. Um, if you want to follow us, all our links will be in the description of the episode. And make sure to check out our two cultures of the week at cinema.joe and clay one more time with yours uh the cascade writers non-profit cascade organization writers. yeah all right well thanks again for listening and please tune in next week as always i have been travis Vermolum. and i've been clay Vermolum. and we are both still those people goodbye <laughs>